plans to leave and join the band, traverse through fabled lands and Those are the wonderful compositions of the Passenger String Quartet with Chris Arlowski. And we have the man behind the Passenger String Quartet, Andrew Motherfucking Jocelyn here today. Thanks for having me. Yes, Good to be thank here. you for coming in. You're you're back in Seattle. I feel like you've been back. touring for three and a half decades. Oh my god! It's sunny out. You're here. Me too. It's been. I like being back in Seattle. It's home. It's home, right? You yeah. grew up in Seattle. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like Bainbridge Island. Bainbridge but Island. That's close enough. I'm a proximity, you know, Seattle native. And you've uh, you've done some writing for the Monarch Review. This is the Monarch Review podcast here with Sean right. DeTori. Hello, mm-hmm. hello. And uh, some of the writing that you've done, um, I was actually reading it over the other day, and you were on tour with David Bazan, and you described uh, the beauty of the tour and the beauty of the music and also the rundownness of some of the hotel rooms. <laughs> Yes. Which is which contrasts with your your prior life, which is uh, when you were on tour with Macklemore, who's a, a right. rapper and performer that a lot of people know about. Um, I, my first question for you, just to jump right in, is what were some of the distinguishing factors between those two tours? Well, with Macklemore, um, for example, we just we just did a one off show in uh, Combre Tajin down in Veracruz, Mexico. It was just like a one off show. We flew down there, and. Right when we landed, we had federales all over us. So we had a security detail with semi-automatic weapons driving around the Mexican landscape. And it's just already you're just like, okay, this is this is my this is my security team. Right. Welcome. <laughs> and welcome, welcome to Mexico. <laughs> Versus like if I rolled down there with David Bazan, we'd be in, you know, a, a 15-passenger van scrummaging for our passports, being like, uh, Where's the best coffee place? Oh, Bazan knows. Let's let's roll there. And, and like, so <laughs> that's so interesting because you are the same person. The music is just as good in in, in respect for one another, but then there's just this perception of money and grandiosity, and yeah. and that must be that must mess with your head a little bit because in some way you your value is sky high, and in some way your value is a rusty van. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the best way to put it is it is a complete mindfuck. Yeah. Because it's because then all of a sudden on the flip side, I I do touring with like Judy Collins and but her her demographic is you know the really older generations and stuff and they're just it's a totally different vibe. It's a totally different audience and a different feel for their tours. And it's super laid back, like the Bazan stuff. Like the thing I liked about it is he's a lifer with music. Mm-hmm. You know, some musicians are like get in, get out. Like, get the money and, you know. So th- I feel like they're kind of in it for the wrong reasons. Bazan's, like, a lifer. He's making music no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, he, I, I think my favorite uh, analogy he told me is he feels like he's a cockroach in the industry. Makes like, sense with the way like, you guys are staying. Exactly. Because <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, if a bomb could go off in the industry, like, Spotify could take over, no musician could ever be paid ever again, and he would still be playing, and he would still figure out how mm-hmm. to make money and make a living and support his two kids and his wife. That's amazing. Yes. You know? And it's, like I said, it's a completely different world than, like, the Macklemore team. And it's just because it's, I mean, we, we play a show in Monaco, and you're right next to these yachts, and, like, the audience are, like, holding up their cell phones that all have like gold and diamonds on them and you're it's just like <laughs> do you have to prepare yourself sort of 
too. Like if you're touring with with Bazan and then you're with Mac Lamore and then Judy Collins, like do you have to prepare yourself for what kind of audience you might see? Like, okay, this is Mac Lamore, this is gonna be a huge audience yeah. or you know, versus this is Bazan, it's gonna be more of a intimate you know, setting. Do you have to go somewhere in your mind to get a ready little, for that? A little bit, but I think I've played so much. I've been, I mean, I've been performing all my life. When I was a kid, I was playing recitals, like, for, you know, for other students. Right. So, like, I didn't really, I mean, I was crying then because I didn't like performing. <laughs> <laughs> you should add that into your set these days. Just, just start crying for before I start number five, I cry. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is my interlude in B flat. <laughs> um, and no, it's it's funny because I I treat it like every other performance. Mm-hmm. Like if it's in f- front of thirty five thousand people or five, it's I'm still gonna play my heart out, put it all, leave it all on the stage, and then do the best job I can possible. Because that's I not to break it down so like starkly, but it's my job. It's like, I want to be a good performer, mm-hmm. I want to make good music, and I want people to have some sort of emotion or leave with something. So you're one of those you know? guys that, like, whether there's three people in the room or 30,000 people in the room, you're going to play your hardest or your best, and you're yeah. going to leave it all on the stage. Because I feel like, you know, if I'm if the quartet's, if we're playing our own show, or if I'm touring, like, if I'm doing, like, a one-off with, like, Kevin Long, or, like, Kevin Sir, or, like, with Chris Orlowski, or, like, any of these people I've worked with, there's going to be shows where... People just don't show up. Could be the promoter's fault. It could be the band's not big enough yet. Or, but the people in that room, the whole thing is, it's like you could change their evening and their totally. perspective. There's perspective just with that one performance. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's thirty five thousand people. The majority of the thirty five thousand people aren't paying attention. They're on their phones on Instagram. <laughs> right. Like they so, don't even give a shit, really. So did They're it like, t- did it take you performing to such a uh, large number like that to get the perspective that you have now or is that something you had the whole time and you've applied busking. it to this busking is what really got me there really like i used to busk a lot um just playing your violin yeah on the street because mm-hmm. no one cares mm-hmm. but if you if you have a, a provocative set and you have people listening like i don't know if you if you just do your thing and not care about everybody else they'll come like, don't get too in your head and be like, no one's watching me. Oh, my right. God. Like, I'm 35,000 people are watching me. Oh, my God. Like, right. you don't care. You just perform. That's that's the whole thing of it. You're, you, you're, I, it's funny because it's like I argue with people about this, but music's a calling. It's mm-hmm. not like in my right mind I'd probably, you know, be doing something a little bit more sustainable in, you know, but I love it. And I, I'm going to make music work mm-hmm. for me. But the, a part of that that whole process is like, I, I get to share music with other people in a communal fashion where they're like, "Wow, that performance made me feel something out of my regular day that was really mundane and stupid, <laughs> like or, or you know whatever." I mean, do, do you think you there know. there's more there are more bands here in Seattle, or maybe just generally that are kind of wanting a string quartet or a violinist or a celloist. I hope so. Uh, you know, because it seems like there's a lot of, like, Chris Orlowski, Susie's son. Yeah. A bizarre, like, there's a lot of people, it seems like, that want some string yeah. backing. Is that it's, more Is that more prominent these days? I think it's just as prominent as it, as it's ever been. Like, I mean, you look at some arrangers like David Campbell, who is Beck's dad. He's been arranging forever, mm. for like, you know, like 30 years or something. And you have, like, Vince Mendoza arrangers and orchestrators and bringing in orchestral instruments into the pop 
and hip hop and rock worlds. It's always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Because I, I, I tell you, with this? Alan Stone at the uh, Chateau Saint Michel, you guys came out. The quartet yeah. came out all in suits and. Re- oh, we, we we dressed the nines for that. We uh-huh. made we made it official, and I love that. It, yeah, I love that too. It's it's funny because it's like I don't think it's a new thing, but I think like maybe as of right now, people are. I, I think the thing is that has changed as string instruments and other instruments like clarinet and accordion and other stuff, I think there's more room for that in the rock and roll archetype mm-hmm. and other bands too. Like back in the day, you had your band. You had your guitar, your lead guitar, bass, drums. You knew your place. You knew your part. Mm-hmm. There wasn't room for a violin. <laughs> people would be like, I don't really know. Even when I was in college, like people were weirded out that I wanted to learn jazz violin and not classical. They were like, nah, this is not, like, right. that's not okay. I was like, but there's, like, Joe Venuti and Stefan Grappelli. They were doing that back in, like, the 50s. Screw uh, you. Like, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that Seattle has so many musicians of all sorts. Like, yeah. I, I have friends who are clarinet players, uh, bass players, cello players, yeah. violinists. And so maybe because we're all sort of, like, steeping in the same city together, it makes sense to bring a friend in who's as close as you are for me right now. Just feed yeah. away of, like, oh, bring him into the music. Sure. It's like, I got, I got a band... Uh, why don't we just bring let's mess in, around? Dude, like, I got a violinist. That's my neighbor. Like, yeah, hell, let's true. bring him in. Because like know? the Seattle scene, everyone's so close and tight knit, and that absolutely makes sense. Like, you know, I'm in this band with a four piece, but my buddy plays the cello. Let's have yeah. him in. Yeah, that, yeah, that's great. But I mean, like, you look at like uh, Lori Goldstein, and she played cello with Nirvana. Like, yeah. so it's yeah. like, and that was probably a similar setup. Like, mm-hmm. uh, cello sounds like a rad idea why don't we just try it <laughs> yeah but i feel like i think the difference now is it's not so much a novelty like back in the day i thought it was kind of gimmicky like uh like the the, the one song with the violin <laughs> that's kind of cool or you know it's kind of like it was kitschy you know but i think now it's like you have bands that that's a part of the band like mm-hmm. that's a core member arcade fire owen pallet like he writes the arrangements he comes out and rocks on stage and he rocks it hard with his violin and his crew um, Kishibashi now he he has that kind of setup. Uh, Andrew Bird definitely like mm-hmm. as a solo violinist looping. He's brought that kind of like this is a band. This can be a mm-hmm. core instrument. How does that work with a band if you're working with like Orlowski or Susie Sun or or whoever it might be? How does that work if they ask you to come in and you know orchestrate or arrange something like? I mean you know I imagine you yeah. have to collaborate just like you would with. With Absolutely. any full-time band yeah. that you're a part of, right? Yeah. It, the thing that's interesting for me is it it, it depends. It used to be, because um, I used to play with this rock band, Handful of Lovin', and in that in that um, world, I was essentially like the lead guitarist. Mm-hmm. So I had all the pedals and everything. So it was, I was a part of, I was creating one line, you know, one melody line. Versus a lot of artists now that I work with, I almost take on the perspective of a producer because mm. I'm bringing in a lot of elements. Like, you know, for example, I'm working on an album with Kevin Sir right now, and it's like I'm bringing in strings, addition, like low bass. Like I'm bringing in a whole world of sounds. It's not just one violin. It's this uh, entourage. So it's interesting because it's like when I work with people now, it's it's just as intimate as me just coming in with a single voice, but it's, I, I feel like I have a huge tool belt at my disposal now. Like, I'll be like, okay, so you want a 
you want that like Danny Elfman sound, like Batman. You I was just gonna call thing. you Batman. I was just <laughs> gonna call you. <laughs> what is? I was just gonna call you Batman. That's you do look a little like Batman. Batman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's like, but it's it's it, like I can, but I can bring that. I mean, like working with Bazan, like he essentially the, the first collaboration we had, I was like, hey man, like you know, I love your music. I've been listening to it years. What what do you imagine strings would sound like on this? And he's right. like, well, I've been really into. Uh, there will be blood and it was just he wanted that darkness that like heaviness um which just communicated perfectly with the music he had already written so for me to bring that whole world that that world of sound like and that's i mean that's the beauty i think that's one thing i feel really lucky about with playing the violin is in a symphony i think like 80 percent of most arrangements is strings so it's like I can just like play all these string parts or arrange it and bring all my friends in, and it's like, you you, you just it's it's so cinematic and so full and so like there's you have such a wide range of emotions you can bring. To and it seems like you can inhabit a lot of different styles. And so what I wanted to ask you yeah. is, have you have you been listening to music like your whole life since you're about three till you're about twenty, just like absorbing, absorbing, absorbing like film yeah. soundtracks, styles, yeah. everything like that? It's it's crazy because it's like that's one thing that's been really fun. I've uh, recorded on so many random albums. Like I've done, uh, like metal bands. I've done folk, gospel, Christian rock, <laughs> uh, like hip hop, obviously uh-huh. indie, just straight folk. I think I already said that. Whatever. But there's been times where I've been introduced to a new band and a new project, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't really like with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. I didn't. I wasn't really familiar with hip-hop prior mm-hmm. to that i wasn't listening to atmosphere or slug or like uh-huh. you know um but i started like inhabiting rjd2 and going into nas and like being like okay i really need to educate myself on this. totally and it was uh uh it was it's really cool because like every new project is a new challenge but it's also an education you know, right. like an did, enriching experience, like oh, a, a, a layering more totally. depth. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the coolest projects is, uh, I worked with Mark Lanigan from screaming trees and mm-hmm. Queens, of the stone age. And we did an album where it was covers, but it was old Andy Williams, Nina Simone, mm. Frank Sinatra. And he wanted pretty needle drop, like where it's like pretty close to the original tunes. So I had to go in and listen to these old arrangements and then do a slight, twist on them make them a little darker for Lanigan but it was like so educational just sitting there and being like oh okay so that's what the strings are doing there and this is what this is happening like I literally re-notated it all out and then re-recorded every single part myself and then hired a cellist and that was it but it was like I was kind of panicked but it was also like super educational for me I was like whoa this is so anytime someone wants that like hey I need that kind of raw nets kind of feel or I need that like that old school quality like Motown like I've done that I got you mm-hmm. cool let's do this <laughs> do people reach out to you like that like Mark Lanigan and uh you know Macklemore reached out is that does that happen more often for you than not thankfully yeah and I mean that's that yeah I I'm hoping that it happens more and more because I I love doing this kind of collaborate collaborative work with mm-hmm. people but you know in a certain tone too I also feel you know, it's funny because it's like I, I also feel kind of like that guy from the movie Swingers when he's like on the phone. He's like, I need you back. And yeah. Like leaving the like four <laughs> hour long message. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> like I don't want to be the dude always waiting for the phone call mm. either. And right. that I think that was the realization I came to really 
it was like a really harsh reality that happened in like 2014. Like if I'm going to be a full-time musician, being a collaborator and a producer, quote unquote, is awesome, but you're always waiting for the next call. You're always waiting for someone to come to you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel like the balance that out, I needed to also be like, I'm going to do my own thing too. So it's like, I've been, that's, I'm hoping like 2015, I already got like five albums in the iron and the, the works, like uh, further collaborations, but ones like my own original mm-hmm. or- orchestral work. Is that right. with passenger string quartet? That's or? a separate thing. Too. Oh, like I'm having my own specifically. Oh, like my, Andrew my, Jocelyn. Yeah. And I, I, I just wanted that distinction because it's like with passenger string quartet with string quartet, just that it's a loaded name. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I kind of want to keep it more, um, complicated a little bit more like the writing more in depth more classical but like screw up screw it up a little bit like mm-hmm. you know get make it edgy but then like my own stuff it's like I wanted to have the bigger ability to bring in drums guitars uh, full orchestral like I'm gonna have guest singers on it it's cool. like it's like a big undertaking but it's 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 exciting because it's like I really get to take on the role of orchestrator writer producer all these different hats yeah. under one You really want album. to direct. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, and I don't I, I don't have any like illusions of grandeur of how well it do or not. It's like it's I just wanted to create beautiful art that I just wanted to share with people. That's really the bottom line. Have you, you know? ever um conducted an orchestra or do you always play in the orchestra when you're, you know, playing? It's mostly the latter. I'm usually playing and I usually will direct from because I like being a part of the sound and contributing my own instrument. Right. Like, so, because if you write an arrangement, um, then essentially you are the conductor of that an right. arrangement, right? And yeah. if you're playing it as well, so that's got to be challenging, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's been sessions for like Macklemore, like at Studio X, where I've conducted. Like there will be a little string symphony and I'll be up on the podium and being like, okay, hey guys, this is how it's going to yeah. go. Do you have to hold that little stick I mean, what is that called? The baton. It's called a baton? I, the funny thing is I never, in all my years of, like, classical training, I never learned how to do it properly. So, I like, I have, like, the little, (laughs) you know, uh, pencil, and I'm just, like, waving it, and they're like, well, you're not really emphasizing it correctly. I'm like, I don't care. I'm on the beat. (laughs) Like, your your technique's a little off, and it's like, I don't care. Like, at least I'm keeping you together. (laughs) So, so it, so, so, yeah, so when you are on stage, though, um, and you've written the arrangement. What's the cha- most challenging part about that? Well, with Bazan, it was crazy because it was, um, I was literally on stage for six and a half weeks. Um, I had purchased a little uh, mixer for us. Um, one of the challenges that a lot of string players face while they're on playing a live show is you're dealing first with feedback <laughs> issues mm-hmm. with your instruments. So you're, you know, with, you know, with your pickups and everything else, you don't want to just be just you know bad noise but like um also making sure you can hear yourselves while you're playing and hearing the band and just because it's it can get overwhelming really fast Mm -hmm. so um i purchased a little mixing board and also ran the inner ear monitors for the quartet so while we're playing with bazan i'm also running the board making sure that everyone's hearing themselves okay so on top of making sure i'm cueing people's entrances being like and this is where you come in, like, you know, like I, you know, by the end, everyone knew their cues down. So it was perfect. But yeah. at the beginning, like I was writing new arrangements wow. like, every other day on the road. So we had new material. So there'd be times where I'm like, you come in on the end of three. So come in here 
and like I would be cueing them and then like trying to make sure I'm on top of my shit like so I don't screw up that seems and like, it's like was it sort of like whiplash did you see that movie yeah uh, <laughs> which made me very uncomfortable by <laughs> totally. the way watching that film because I had a couple no one that insane but going through the, the classical world I had a couple of master classes like I had one Juilliard professor where I, I did a master class with them and it was so uncomfortable <laughs> like it was like nerve wracking the guy who wrote that movie went to my high school, and uh, we shared a, a big band teacher, and, and it was based off that guy. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, I had basically had that teacher. He was a lot. He was kinder than that guy was, but yeah. it was the guy that, that was based off was my big band teacher when I was a kid. That's pretty cool, Andrew. So I want to. You know how <laughs> nerve wracking that can be. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I brought that whole part up because then you're like you're coming in on the down of the three that gave me like heart palpitations for a second because yeah, like exactly. And I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to you know admit it, but I'm I'm not the greatest sight reader. Even totally. though I write for everybody else, I think that's partly a control addict kind of thing where I'm like, well, I'm terrible at sight reading, but I'm going to write my own shit so I know exactly what I need to be playing. <laughs> right. Um, and two of the pieces that you wrote for The Monarch, uh, these two lines jumped out at me and I wanted to sort of get your opinion on them juxtap- juxtaposed to one another. Yeah. One quote, whose life did I just steal into? <laughs> the second quote, I'm finally going home where life makes sense. <laughs> How do you feel some six months removed uh, from those two lines? It's that's so interesting because it's um, it, it really I really did. So those were both written around the time that I was, uh, it, it like literally I felt like I was catapulted to the top of the music industry. I had just I was playing on the Grammys. Uh, I had just played on Good Morning America with like Mary Lambert, Jay Leno, like Jay Leno, wow. uh, the, the AMA Awards, like. All of a sudden, it's like I'm playing 35,000 people. I'm doing all this stuff, and it, it like I felt like I like the world was just like right there. And um, I mean that juxtaposed to like that was the top of the world, and then this la- and that was la- January of 2014. This last January was totally different. Uh-huh. It was like rock bottom, and it's so interesting because it's like because your house burned down. Yeah, the apartment <laughs> burnt down, and it's like I had to literally like. It was completely like, it, it was just a totally different life. It was like, this is reality, you know? Because that's the one thing about like entertainment and making music and stuff is it's sometimes the hard, to, it's hard to keep perspective. Like when you're on the road, you you almost kind of sometimes feel like you have a free pass with what you're doing. Like, like time oh, stops, like, sort of? Kind of like, I'm supposed to call my mom, but she knows I'm on the road, so I don't have to call her for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. Or like you don't, you kind of lose. It's like the time still moves when you're on the road. You're in this weird time bubble, like floating around. But every everyone else still has their nine to five, or they're still doing this, and they're still like babies are still being born. <laughs> People are still getting married. Like mm-hmm. I miss so many marriages and other stuff like on the road. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but all of a sudden when you come back and everyone's like. You know, either they're broken up or they're together or whatever. It's like you feel like you were in cryogenic sleep. Totally. And you're like, uh, well, that's reality, you know. But, you know, you're the mu- music and performing, There's, it's still reality. It's just, like I said before at the beginning of all this, it's still, it's like a, mi- a giant mind fuck. Like, yeah, I did really feel like I had stolen to someone else's life. Like, all of a sudden I had to be Andrew, the performing, touring, um, rocking violinist. And then coming home, it's like I have to be Andrew, the the normal human being. Right. Like I'm still a musician, but I still have like you know rent and this and 
car payments and I got to drive to the store and buy uh-huh. a burrito. I don't know. <laughs> We're it's out like, of toilet paper. We're out of what toilet paper. What the hell? Paper, We're already right? out of toilet paper. Versus like on the road, it's like you have security detail with Federales and they're giving you toilet paper and everything's like super you are taken care of. Like it's it's such a yeah it's such a weird juxtaposition to have those two worlds side by side what songs you know? did the uh people in mexico respond to the of macklemore and ryan lewis besides thrift shop and maybe you can't hold us were there were there other tunes that like hmm. that that audiences really really uh-huh. responded to <laughs> and we danced uh-huh people worldwide just love that song and okay. we danced and we danced it's from one of his earlier mixtapes oh, okay. and it's just like straight on the floor just dance music cool. nice and that's it and it's it's a giant joke in it of itself but it's like everyone just <laughs> just freaks out on that song good so yeah and we dance you are involved with london tone music yes. um i just spoke with uh jeff ross and uh one of the artists for that took part in the 5252 project mm-hmm. um it was. It's a crazy project that has succeeded. Fifty-two yeah. artists, fifty-two weeks in fifty-two weeks for an entire year. Um, a new song. Um, so, how are you involved with London Tone Music? Because I saw, uh, you know, a bunch of bios from people, and you yeah. were on there. So, yeah. what's your involvement with London Tone in, in so fifty-two fifty-two? I have a great relationship with, like with Jonathan Plum, Eric Lillevoie, and Jeff Ott, who are like the main um, owners. Of London Bridge, mm-hmm. and I, I just kind of got um, they they approached me along with Jeff Hyman and Jeff Ross, who run the the label side, and they wanted me to be essentially their orchestral director. Mm-hmm. So if they had artists that needed kind of the orchestral elements, like they needed a horn section or strings or someone to arrange additional elements to make the song more full, mm-hmm. they would come to me, cool. and I I was like, yeah, totally. Like, and we, you know. Um, a lot of it was like, you know, they would give me like studio time at London Bridge and other stuff. And I was just more than happy to help. I love those guys. So it's like that was my involvement. And I mean, I did like seven tracks with them, really? seven or eight tracks. Yeah. I did like stuff with Kit Bender, mm-hmm. um, Trisha Iverson, did some stuff with Shelby Earl, did stuff with Whitney Lyman. Are they going to um, keep you around as um, the the arranger, the orchestrator for future projects, do you know? I mean, that yeah. would be great probably. I hope so. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think yeah, they've been they've been calling me for random projects both with 52 and beyond and it's yeah. just been you know, and that's the thing is it's like it's it's one of those things where it's like I really I love those guys up there, so it's like I don't I don't mind like just doing whatever needs to be done to help them out. Yeah, and you're so. going to be playing the show right at the track at the Triple yes. Door yep. April 30th. Mm-hmm. Um it's the 5252 celebration. There's going to be like yep. 40 plus artists. <laughs> yeah. I got the lowdown of how this is going to work. It's going to be kind of like uh, certain people playing all together, like yeah. kind of um, kind of weaving in and out of their songs and other people learning the other songs of the other people. <laughs> it sounds like cool. it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm I'm weighing the here if the whole um, passenger quartet's going to be involved with that or if it's just me mm-hmm. or because it'd be kind of fun, because some of those songs I haven't heard performed live yet, so it'd be really interesting to kind of see how it all plays out. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a def- it's definitely going to be a, like a three-ring three circus, that's for sure. How do you like, uh, what's your favorite way to eat chicken? Ooh. Um, <laughs> oh. With yeah. your fingers? <laughs> I yell with my fingers. 
<laughs> I do. I do like the tradition, like the traditional roasted like, chicken, roasted ch- like the rotisserie. Uh-huh. We got the skin, uh-huh. got some herbs on it. It's like just a little crispy. Okay, but it's still got the juice inside. Mm-hmm. Sean, uh, what's your favorite song to sing at karaoke? If you do karaoke, <laughs> I'm still kind of like deep down like a YouTube fanatic. Mm-hmm. You, okay, so like I'll do like with or without you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That song always I, reminds me of high school. We would dr- drink. My friends and I, uh, on the back of my friend Mark's uh, white pickup truck, and we would drink a big thing of pop-off vodka. It was amazing. What do they want? I don't know. Rachel was just saying hi. Oh, it's wrong. Um, They're just saying hi. Okay. Okay. Um, You want? I think that we should do some uh, classical music. Name that. Oh my god. Name that. uh, Oh man. Classical orchestrator game. It's funny. Okay. Disclaimer. So. Of all the classes I've ever taken in like music and music theory and stuff, the one class I just like didn't do so well in was like music appreciation. Oh, really? <laughs> Amazing. No joke. No all joke. Right, well, and and a part of that course is identifying classical mu- like composers and their different styles. You can't so. sight read. You have no idea who these classical musicians <laughs> you are. You don't use the batons all the time. I, so You're I'm a failure as a musician. <laughs> neoclassical musician. Neo. This uh, segment. Is brought to you by Menon, uh, Speed Stick by Menon. You put it under your arms, it makes you feel real good at night and during the day, and you just kind of have this fresh start, uh, uh, much like America's doing. So, name, name the artist if you can. Okay. Moonlight Sonata, come on. Oh, wow, but who, who does that? Beethoven. Oh my gosh. That is correct. Ooh! All right, here Thank comes God. number two. Vivaldi, Four Seasons. Wow, that's in like every Diamond commercial. That is correct. <laughs> that's when I first heard that when I was recording it. I was like, "Oh, Jared, the Diamond People." Uh, mm. Okay, here comes number three. You're doing really well. Uh, Brandenburg, Bach, right? Yeah, you got Bach. That is correct. Much like a chicken might say, Bach, Bach. I don't really Bach, know the Bach. name of the song. I don't quite remember it. Here comes the last one. Is it Mozart or Handel? I need an answer. Damn it. I'll go with Handel. I'll go with Handel. Wow. Wow. What? That is correct. <gasps> four, four out of four. All right. Could you see, so I just passed my music appreciation. Could you class. see the screen with the no, names? No, God, no. Okay. I have terrible vision. I like this game because I like classical music a lot and I don't hear enough of it. Yeah, as do mm. I. I have like Beethoven's Greatest Hits on cassette. It's like 10 songs, I think. Mm. It's really, really Beethoven's good. Beethoven's Greatest Hits. Yeah. Dude, I, uh, it's funny. I, I've been really into boarding lately. You should listen to some of his stuff. Boarding? Boarding. It's B-O-R-O-D-I-N. Okay. Like Polovetsian Dances is like one of my favorite favorite like thematic things of all time it's like rad cool so i don't know just pass it along you know pass it along knowledge just, a little just have some fun with that thanks for stopping by the monarch podcast thank you for having me <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for dropping by andrew <laughs> pull the ripcord it's over <laughs> if you want to find uh, more episodes of the monarch review podcast you can go to the monarchreview.org uh, and if you want to learn more about Andrew, andrewjocelynmusic.com. That's your website. Yep. Um, yeah, man. I think that we're we're about done here. Sounds yeah. great. Sounds Perfect. pretty great. Sounds so great. Sounds wonderful. Sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.